Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I have a question I want to start today with. How big is your God? Okay, I poke somebody and say, hey, the pastor's back again. Here's the question. How big is your God? Now, before you answer it too quickly, just take a moment to think about it. Uh, is, he, is he somebody that you put your faith in? Are you seeing his goodness in your life? Are you depending on him? Have you put your trust in him? Because that question comes down to some of those big fundamental questions of how big is our God? Well, this Wednesday night, Lori and I, we lead Doing Life Together Zoom. And I invite you, any of you who are joining here today, to join us on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We're going to be going to Psalms 145, and we're talking about how big is your God. And Psalms 145 is considered the the hymn of praise of the Old Testament. So by talking of this, we're going to be uh, just opening this up and sharing. If you're interested, just uh, contact the church, email the church, and we'll send you a link on Wednesday night. We're so glad to be able to do this live on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've worked hard to do that. We got a, a team, a skeletal team, to uh, uh, run around and make all these things work. And I'm so thankful for them. And I'm thankful for you for joining us and being a part of this day. Again, a live experience Sunday morning. Uh, that is something we can't be in the building, but we are together. We can see each other. Uh, we can be a part of that together. I'm going to be going to Exodus chapter 3. If you grab your Bibles, would you go there? Last week, we started, and we're still doing life together. And we, this, these next few sessions have been on worship. It's been coming to the finale of doing life together. What's this all about? It was just over a year ago that when the world was changed by this virus, that we began to ask ourselves some fundamental questions, questions about our purpose. And in the process of doing that, we retooled ministry. We repurposed areas of our ministry. What is our purpose? And we reset, and thus brought us this year of doing life together. And it has brought us to this moment of talking about worship. And if we're to understand the power of worship, there is something fundamental in being able to understand how God started this whole plan of mankind and him in relationship. We went back to Genesis last week, Genesis chapter 12, and we started with the altars because the altars represented this place of worship. And so what did the altars, how were they to be responded to? Well, today we're going to go to the next book, Exodus. And Exodus chapter 3, we're going to pick it up, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Do you know what a non-sequitur is? A non-sequitur. Let me give you an illustration of a non-sequitur. What would you rather or go fishing? All right, let me give you another one. Here's another non-sequitur. I always thought you had pretty eyes. 
But isn't the hockey team playing tomorrow? Are you getting it? Give you another non-sequitur. Ken called and said the weatherman predicted rain today. I really loved playing marbles when we lived on Ontario Street. Non-sequiturs. Non-sequiturs are those abrupt, illogical turns of thoughts and speech that appear to have no relationship to one another. Remarks that bear no, no emphasis on what just was spoken of before. Now, some people might say, well, that, yeah, that's, I think I call them scatterbrains. But no, it's actually, the non-sequitur is actually a true term. And now some of you, you're probably looking to the person sitting on the couch next to you and say, you have non-sequitur. But no, I, I wanted, the point of this is to go back to Exodus chapter 3. Because in Exodus chapter 3, this is a non-sequitur. Did you notice when we read through this? Now, there's a conversation between God and Moses. Moses had left, fled Egypt. He's hanging out in the wilderness for 40 years. He got married, has a family. He's tending to a flock of sheep. He's at Mount Sinai, and there he has this encounter on a burning bush, and God is speaking to him. This is chapter 3, verse 11. This is the conversation between Moses and God at the burning bush. Let's read it again. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Did you see it? Moses' question was, who am I to bring such a deliverance? God answers, I'll be with you as you bring the people here to worship me. Well, that's not what Moses asked. This is a non-sequitur. Moses' question has to do with his qualifications. God's answer has to do with worship. Church, when God answered Moses' qualification question with the bring my people to this mountain, our first tendency is to think, well, God's not listening to Moses. And I thought that. But quite to the contrary. In God's answer, we're going to do it again. In God's answer lies the purpose of all of it. Moses is talking about, who am I? Why would you choose me? I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm not competent to do this. But God, on the other hand, talks about why we even do this in the first place. He brings us to the point, the focal point of what this is all about, the purpose of this. Their future was awaiting on the top of the mountain of worship. Everything that was meant to be was at the top of the mountain of worship. I'm going to bring some points. First of all, Exodus 3, 12, the last part, we read it earlier. God says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Point number one, worship is the heart of God's commission. The purpose for the Israelites to be released from bondage was not to live happily ever after. The purpose was not to hang out and eat these giant grapes in the promised land. The purpose was not to have a life of ease. The purpose was not to procreate and have a bazillion kids. The purpose was not to be the greatest nation in the world. The purpose of God freeing them from bondage and moving them to the promised land, the purpose was so that they might worship him. That was the purpose, not freedom, 
not deliverance. We often refer to it as the deliverance, but they were delivered so that they might what? The deliverance wasn't the goal. The goal was worship. It was all about worship. It wasn't about just freedom. It wasn't about living well. It wasn't about being at the top end. It was about that you might be free to be a people of worship. It was about intimacy. It was about God coming and demonstrating his love to them through the ministry and the heart of worship. You're in my price for spiritual freedom from sin. When Jesus went to the cross and set us free from the bonds of sin, it's not simply to live a better life. You and I are freed to become a worshiper. I think that's marvelous, don't you? Worship's at the heart of God's commission. And then we go down to verse 18. God is continuing to talk to Moses. He says, verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. Now, these sacrifices where it says, go to the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. These sacrifices are what we just referred to back in verse 12. The sacrifices are making reference to worship. So it, you could say that we would go to the wilderness to offer worship to God. That's what was happening. The sacrifices were an act of worship. And Pharaoh, we know the story, Pharaoh would reject this request of Moses, not simply because he didn't want to lose his slaves, and that was part of it, but that was not all of it. Mo Pharaoh rejected Moses' request because Pharaoh knew that a people free to worship God can never be bound by earthly powers. I'm going to say that again. People free, people, a people free to worship God can never be bound by earthly powers. Worshipers, true worshipers, chains of bondage cannot hold you back. True worshipers, no demon can entice you. True worshipers, the bitter of the root of bitterness will not overcome you. True worshipers are freed from the tanglements of this world found in the place of true worship. And I want to ask a question because it's a question I put to myself. Is there a Pharaoh inside me that fears that truth? Is there a Pharaoh that, that fears the truth that if I become radical in worship, there is nothing in this world that can touch me? Is there something about this? Is there a bondage maybe in my life that fears the truth that if you become a worshiper, the bondage will have to let go? Perhaps there's a habit that fights against you, but if you are free to worship, the habit goes. You see, so many times we focus on these things, but we need to make our focus to worship God. That's the focus. And once we have arrived or in that place of arriving, these things just begin to drop off. Number three, worship was the issue in the Pharaoh God power struggle. It was the issue. The issue was about worship. We go over to chapter nine of Exodus, verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews say, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
Let's slide down. He continues to talk to Moses about this. Uh, he's telling the purpose of what he's to tell Pharaoh. Verse 16, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I want to go back to verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh and say to him. So I asked the question, who's the message aimed towards? Pharaoh. God's talking to Pharaoh. Now, Moses has to tell him because Pharaoh's not hearing from God directly. Moses has to tell him, but Moses is telling him what God is saying. So God is talking to Pharaoh here when he gives this message. So we read it again. Confront Pharaoh and say, this is what the Lord, the God of heaven, let my people go. He's still talking to Pharaoh in verse 16. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Who's he talking to? Pharaoh. I wonder what might have happened if Pharaoh had said yes instead of refusing. You have to wonder that if he had stepped into his purpose that day, God was offering Pharaoh an opportunity to worship. And should he have accepted it, the whole story would have come out differently. He would not today be an icon of defeat. I believe today he would be an icon of victory. The question that determined Pharaoh's ultimate destiny was this question, will you let God's people worship him? Worship is the issue. Worship was the issue of the deliverance. Worship was the issue of God's children, so they would come into intimacy with him and know how much he loves them. Worship. The fourth thing I want to share is worship is the key to Israel's protection. Every time a sacrifice of an animal was made, they had their feast, they had their sacrifice, they had all those offerings. I mean, you read through Exodus and Leviticus, and you just have offering and sacrifice and feast upon one another, and it's just like mind-boggling, all these feasts and, and sacrifices. And here's the point. These animal sacrifices, the point of them were for the point of worship. They allowed God's protection. For instance, in the plagues, the last plague, the Passover lamb was slain, the blood sprinkled on the doorposts of the home. It was the ultimate act of worship as God would protect his people. Worship is the key to Israel's protection. Listen, I really believe today, let's bring it home. You and I are never more under the protecting wings of an almighty God than when you and I are free to worship, to worship. Number five, I don't believe it's just about protection. I believe it's the destiny. I believe it's why we're here. It's the destiny of people. So the Israelites finally got out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai, where they were asked to go to worship. Chapter 19, verse 4. Let's see how it goes. God, uh, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. God speaking to the people, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. I'm going to read that again. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possessions. 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Here God is stating his reason for their deliverance, that I brought you to myself, that you might be my treasure. My treasure. The treasure of God, his most prized inheritance. He is his jewel, the joy and love of his life. I really do see how this applies, that when we are the people of worship, then we are his prized possession. He joys in us. He delights in us. We see that, but not only is there the joy and the treasure, we are the crown of his jewels, but secondly, then, not first, then after that, we can become a kingdom of priests. The kingdom of priests means it's not just about us. It's about leading others to do the same. You see how that works? So first of all, his children were called to go to the mountain and worship him so that they might go out from there to all the nations, the people around them, and invite them to the place of worship. So they too would be at the place where they are the crown jewels of Almighty God. Worship was and is our destiny. Six, worship is the center of our lives. It's the center. You continue on in the book of Exodus, you come to Exodus 25, verse 8 and verse 22, talks about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a place where they would set up where they would meet with God. The priests would go in and perform their feasts and their sacrifices and the altars, and there they would meet with God. But it's interesting that when they set the tabernacle up, God gave them specific, detailed instructions, not only in the making of the tabernacle, but how the tabernacle was to be erected, set up, and where they, the tribes, the 12 tribes, positioned themselves around the tabernacle. You will see the 12 tribes, three were on the north, three were on the south, three were on the east, three were on the west. They surrounded worship. That's the whole point. The center of everything in their lives was worship. Worship was central. And lastly, worship was to be over and above all in God's calendar. In all the things that took place, worship, worship, come back to worship. So now that we've determined that worship is the central theme of the book of Exodus, we go back to Exodus chapter 3, the opening text, verse 11 and 12, where Moses asked God, well, who am I? And God answers, go worship, that non sequitur. Who am I? Qualification, go worship. That's your job. Listen, the reason it does seem like a non sequitur is because you and I, we tend to, in this day and age, view serving God as something we do. I serve. I do in my service, instead of, we got to get this corrected, instead of something we become. We think it's a job done. So therefore, you can step away from it for a while. You can take some time off. You can put yourself on a rotational basis because it's something you do. Now we're discovering the foundations of what God has established in us. It's not something we do. It's who we are to be. Therefore, I can't take it off or put it back on again. Either I am a worshiper or I'm not. 
See, worship is not something you do when you come into the building. Here I am in this building. It's pretty empty. But you're here. Is worship when I get to the building? Is worship when I read scripture or do a liturgy? Is worship when I pray? Is worship when I'm playing a guitar, singing songs, my hands are lifted up? Is that worship? That is worship. And worship is my act of duty of my life lived out fully for God. It's my life service for him. I don't worship. I am a worshiper. And God is calling you to step out of the place of the role of going to worship to being a worshiper. And a worshiper doesn't go to do it. A worshiper becomes the worship. Moses, remember Moses said, I'm, I'm disqualified because he looked at it. I have to go do something. God says, no, it's who you're going to become. Therefore, God was downloading his purpose into mankind in this story when it came to setting God's people free. It's something you are. It comes back to what God told them in Exodus 19.6. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He didn't say, you will do. You will be my priests. You will be my worshipers. His original plan was that all of Israel would become a nation of spiritual worshipers and leaders to lead the world into worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Worship was intended to fulfill their mission for evangelism. However, however, it didn't happen. It didn't come to its fullness. What happened in following that, we see climaxing itself in Exodus 32, here they were at the mountain. Here's the whole purpose of them going was to be a worship, a people who would then become a kingdom of priests to the world around them. God loves everyone the same. But what happened? Moses went, spent a few moments with God on the mountain, came back down, and instead of worshiping the one true God, they had made these golden calves. They wanted to worship in a controlled environment. They wanted to be in control of who and what and how they worship, so they made it out of their hands. Instead of the God who creates all, they became the creators of their God. That really seems to represent so much of humanity today in our secularized society that we worship ourselves. We say, I don't go to church. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God, but guess what? We're at the top of that. We are in control, not him. We're worshiping us. They failed here, and there was a call. There was a breakdown here, and we read that God said, this is sin in Exodus 32, and Moses called the people to repent of their sin and then asked that great question that was asked, who? He's, he's talking to all the Israelites, 12 tribes. Who will rise up and be on the Lord's side? And verse 26 says, one tribe, the Levites, stepped forward. All 12 had the option. One tribe stepped forward. And as a result, the tribe of Levi, the Leviticus, alone would become the priestly tribe that God wanted all of them to be. A nation intended to be global serving priests were reduced to a sinning nation, barely keeping alive spiritually, barely managing their worship, because they didn't see how they would be involved. They relegated it to a group of people. 
Beloved, I know that you're seeing this. You're, you're tracking with me on this because that message is as true today as it was then. The call is still out. Will you be my worshiper? Will you worship him in spirit and in truth? We go to John 24, verse 24. It says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and truth. The invitation is still there. Will you worship? Will you become a worshiper? Will you be a people of worship? And if you are, the jewel, the treasure of his heart. Peter would talk about that, that we are the treasure chosen people of his heart. And if you do, and if I do, then we will be a priest to the nations. Nations will come and they will know Christ because we are not doing worship. We are worshipers. You know, pandemic can't steal that from you. It cannot steal. Sickness cannot steal that from you. Death cannot steal that from you. Fear cannot steal that from you. Not a worshiper because it's who you are. I was just reading this past week, maybe you saw it on the National Post, that they were saying that after this pandemic, um, I forget the words they used, but the, the churches will have so declined that they won't be able to recover. Talk about Canada. They won't be able to recover. National Post, they were doing this article. The churches won't be able to recover from this pandemic. They predicted one church. I'm not going to mention the name, but it's a mainline church that back in the 1960s had 1.3 million members in Canada. Today, they have 200,000 members in Canada. And in the National Post, the person writing this predicted that by 2040, 19 years from now, the church will cease to exist. And so they're calling out and they're saying, I believe religion and the churches as we know it in Canada are, have taken such a hit in this pandemic because they've been shut down, people have left, people are doing their own thing now, they can't recover. And I want to say, let's read Exodus chapter 3, because a people of worship cannot be silenced. However, there are those who will be. There are those who like the invitation in Exodus 32 when invited, who will be a worshiper? Who will stand up? Who will give themselves fully? There will be those that will just be silent and not respond, and some will. But those who will, as true as it was here, it's as true today, being the crown jewel of God's heart, embracing the fullness of his love, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, we will be a kingdom of priests to bring glory to God. We'll never die. I invite you into that. Maybe you've lost the edge of that intimacy and love and passion, and you need to regain it back. Can I invite you? Let's do that. You know, we as a church, and I, I feel that as a church, we as a church, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to start having uh, little prayer meetings. If we're not opened up for big gatherings, we're going to do a little tiny in keeping with all the stuff under 10 people, but we're going to begin to call out for revival. I believe God is reviving us, and he's reviving people. I believe that the, the harvest is ripe, we have to pray the Lord of the harvest to send us into it. I invite you to be a people of worship. So earlier we sang that song about worship, and we're going to sing that song again. I want to just before I do that, last week, if you were joining us last week, I started by sharing a story back 31 years ago of going into that sanctuary, Lori and I, that auditorium, and, and there was such a presence, and I began to weep. My natural response 
was, I, I didn't know what was going on. I raised my hands. I lifted my voice. God was so magnified that day that I was a changed person. In those few minutes, I was a changed person. In spite of not knowing the songs, now I know what took place then. What took place 31 years ago was an altar of worship had been prepared before I walked into that place. Those people had prepared the altar. And when I walked into the sanctuary, they were a kingdom of priests in there. And I just walked in, unbeknown what was going to happen. But so overwhelming was his presence. It changed my life. I believe that when we prepare the altar in worship, and we are the kingdom of priests, lives will be transformed. In that same article in the National Post, it was uh, going back to last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. And the author there was believing that the disciples on Pentecost Sunday hid in the upper room on that day. They hid because they were afraid of the authorities. And he likened today the churches hiding in our homes to what took place 2,000 years ago. They hid. And he stopped there. He stopped there. And I'm going, oh, I would like to send a letter and finish the story. Because, no, they weren't hiding from the authorities. They were preparing an, off, an, an altar before God. Jesus told them, go and tarry until I come. They prepared an altar before God. And the Spirit of God fell. And when they walked out, there was a move of God taking place. And I want to suggest on that comment by, a, I don't know who wrote it, somebody, a secularist, who said, the church is like on Pentecost. Here, here we are, Pentecost. We're hiding again like they did 2,000 years ago because the church is in demise. But I want to suggest not with my God, not a people of worship, not a people filled with the Holy Spirit who will come out with evangelism in their heart, the Lord on their lips, a people not going to do worship, going to go to church, a people who are the church, a people who are worshipers. So Father in heaven, I thank you that God, you've called us to be a people that, of worship and a kingdom of priests. Lord, I pray that if there's a Pharaoh in our life that is clawing away, trying to hold us back, knowing that if we are a people of worship, we can never be controlled again, then Lord, I pray, help us to rise above. Help us to just become fully centered on you. Change our heart of worship towards you. We pray that in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you to just join in one more song. It's the song we sang earlier, but I invite you to sing it with me this morning. When the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come. Uh, I know some of you are sitting in your couches. It was really encouraging last week. Uh, I was told that on Zoom, you could see people standing. Some of you were just stood in worship. Some of you just lifted your hand. Just lose sight of the people around you. You know, our homes really need to be a place of worship primarily. And uh, before I ever worshiped in public, I had created my living room to be a sanctuary of worship. Make your sanctuary, make your living room, kitchen, sanctuary of worship for the next few minutes. And in a moment, we're going to be uh, having communion, I invite you to prepare 
We're going to be gathering around the Lord's table. I invite all of you to join us. You don't have to be a part of Aurora Cornerstone Church to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus, join us. Just uh, take uh, some bread, uh, something to drink, and we're going to, as a representation of the followers of Christ, we're going to be partaking of communion in just a moment. We just sing this. Join with me. Let's worship our Lord. You know the words. Let's just worship him. When the music fades, and all is stripped away, I'm simply gone. Wanting just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Come on, let's sing it. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.